Welcome back to Learning from Texas Education Innovators. I'm Dr. Karen French. This week's guest was Dr. Jim Patton. He's from the Department of Special Education. Our conversation about universal design for learning was such a good conversation and it lasted such a long time, we decided to divide it into two podcasts. The first podcast will be this week and the next one will be in another two weeks. I hope you'll join us for both. Jim, you're here to Universal Design for Learning. So we've known each other for over a decade. Our kids went to school together. I know that you teach courses in the special education department. I know that you put together some really interesting signature courses. And I just realized I don't know that much background about you. Where's a good place to begin to tell the story of your life? Or perhaps better said, the story of your teaching life. Yeah, I can. Uh, well, first of all, it's it's great to be able to be part of this series. Uh, thank you for uh, asking me to do this. And this topic is one that I have some. I, it's interesting. It's 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 a topic I have great interest in, but I don't think about it a lot because it just seems to be part of ongoing operations. Um, to answer your question, yeah, we you know we've known each other for quite a while, and we focus a lot on what we're doing here mm-hmm. uh, without necessarily going. Aside from the fact we have uh, children that went to school together, the background sometimes you don't really know. So I'll, st- I'll just kind of give a quick hit. So um, I started off, uh, my undergraduate major, I went to the University of Notre Dame, was a, I was actually in kind of a pre-med program that kind of changed my ideas on it. But I ultimately had enough uh, coursework, et cetera, to become a high school biology teacher. Now, it's interesting. I had to get some student teaching through another school and da-da-da-da-da. But um, I started out uh, as a general education biology teacher. Um, unfortunately, uh, that got interrupted because I got drafted into the military. So, uh, I mean, I, had, I was, it was during that time where uh, you sometimes had to serve against your will. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> but, but I did have, I went into the military and uh, when I came out, I had, had got, had had gotten an interest in working with kids with special needs. It's hard to pinpoint what it was, but I was interested in it, but knew that I had to go back and get training. So I applied, I went to a master's program in special education at the University of Virginia that was pretty much a pre-service kind of master's, meaning it, it, it was preparing me to be, be a special ed teacher. Now, I'm thinking secondary, but the way it works out, I got a position at an elementary school, so mm-hmm. I ended. I was. I worked as a what we called a resource special edu- a special education resource teacher at an elementary a public school in Charlottesville, Virginia, for a number of years, um, and then I eventually uh, went back and and got my doctorate, um, and. Uh, when then took my first position was at the University of Hawaii. I was out there for ten years, but I also had the opportunity, which which I didn't realize, and it has a lot to do with maybe being here with you today, is uh, I had an opportunity <clears throat> to uh, teach at a private school that was designed for uh, students who are gifted and gifted. Uh, well, what we call twice exceptional, gifted and having learning disability or ger- gifted and ADHD maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was back then, and I hate to say it was a while back, that uh, this idea of, of this term that not so much the theme of our, our uh, this podcast, but differentiating instruction really kind of emerged out of gifted education. And, okay. and I was involved with gifted education back at a time. So the idea of differentiating within a 
classroom. Uh, I, what that really means to me is kind of uh, attending to the needs of your students, whatever those might be, started a long time ago, but actually in an interesting setting, which was gifted education. Out of gifted, not yeah. out of special education. Exactly. Okay. The so, differentiated, <clears throat> differentiated learning came out of that Yeah, that's, idea. we started, we were doing that with gifted kids a long time ago, and then uh, it got very popularized in, uh, as when it got applied to general education, uh, and, and the term still is a very popular term. Right. Yeah, and, and it relates to what we're going to talk about, or what I'm going to talk about today, because it's, it's embedded in my approach to differentiating for kids. UDL is part of that process for me. A class that I've taught since I've been here, which is now about 28 years, um, is... 28 uh, years? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, it's added up. So the class is called, uh, the, the, the title of the class is Individual Differences. It's ALD, so Applied Learning and Development 322. Okay. There's multiple sections of it. I only teach one, and I tend to teach the one that meets once a week. It's a large class. It, it ranges from the lowest I've ever had on enrollment is maybe 50, and the, I've taught it to 300, I think, at one time. It's now usually around 80 to 90 is the number of students. Because of that, you you do have a rate you have variability in a, right. in a class like that and and because of that it's been it's a perfect forum for applying these elements of UDL that, that, that we'll talk about. You still can embed these kinds of elements into smaller classes. Okay. They really become to me very essential in larger classes because you just have so much diversity and slash student need in a way. Okay. Uh, so the classes, the individual differences, what it basically is, is it is targeted mostly for general education teachers on okay. how to work with kids with special needs and who are in at-risk populations in their classrooms. Okay. Uh, that's the, I, I guess that's the, the theme. I do have a number of students that are not going to be teachers in the class, which I love, uh -huh. um, which means I have to kind of make sure I'm always thinking about different populations and audiences that are in the class. But um, it's primarily to try to give these individuals who may not have a lot of experience, um, whether they're going to be in classrooms or elsewhere in workplace, uh, background information that's accurate and some ideas on how to work with folks to make some, you know, differentiate in those settings. It sounds like a fun class to teach. So let's yeah. let's think about what universal design for learning is. I, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of share with you a definition that's kind of what I call a more, a more professional definition. Okay. And then I'll give you mine. <laughs> okay. Okay. So here's the this one comes out of the Higher Education Opportunity Act, and this is from a number of years ago. So this has been around, but this is what it's is. So UDL is a scientifically valid framework for guiding educational practice that A, pro provides flexibility in the ways information is presented, in the ways students respond or demonstrate knowledge and skills, and in the way students are engaged. And then it goes on, part B says, it reduces barriers in instruction, provides appropriate accommodations, and then it goes on a little bit more than that. But you get the gist of it. Okay. My definition, the one that I kind of operate from, goes more like this. It's uh, UDL is kind of a, a way of building practices that are related uh, to being successful in a classroom. Um, that And these practices are needed by some, but beneficial to all. So, so the idea of it is, is that there are, and, and this kind of has come about for me because I've, over the years, I've had so many students in my class that either have various types of learning challenges. Okay. And it's, and learning can be, you know, not only just on a cognitive level, it could also be social, emotional, 
behavior. I mean, there's there's other elements that get in the way, that impede learning in a way. Right. But over the years, I've had so many students with various challenges that I've I've uh, and, and and remember. Well, I say remember. I think most people might know that some students, many students that have various learning challenges slash maybe disability, have been ident are, are served under uh, by our Office of Services for Students with Disabilities, SSD office. Okay. But to get those services, you have to disclose your disability and you have to meet criteria from their office to, to be able to uh, get those services. A number of students here at UT choose not to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, many do, which is great, and, and I do believe SSD provides some great services for students. And, and as an instructor, if you have a student that is officially identified, you will get a letter from that office that, that highlights what the students, doesn't necessarily tell you what the student's disability is, but it does make it very clear what their accommodations are that they need to have in the class. Okay. Now, over the years, I've had a lot of students that have as I've said before, that have those disabilities, various disabilities, and I've I've looked at those accommodations that they need, and I would have to, I think, truthfully say, I just decided to start building those accommodations into my class, i.e., universal design for learning. <clears throat> so what happened is, is I just started building in features that that literally no one even had to ask me, uh, show me a letter. Um, now, to this day, if someone's in my class, they are under somewhat of an obligation to show me that letter and, and to explain it to me. Uh -huh. I definitely look at every letter because every once in a while there's still a, there's a new twist. There's something in there that maybe I'm not doing, and, uh -huh. and I want to make sure I, I, I do that. But I like to think that when I see letters today, it's... I, I'm attending to all of those issues already uh, is, is my idea. So okay. that's kind of, so I have a, there's professional definitions and they can vary a little bit. There's some, some general overlap, but then I have my own personal one and that's basically UDL to me is, these are just practices that I think will help students benefit from being in a class. Um, I'm, as I said, some students need these things. Right. And but everyone can benefit from them. They can help the other yeah, students yeah. anyway. Yeah, and and it doesn't uh, now and some of them you don't some of them are very optional. Some some are just kind of built in, but a lot of them are optional kinds of uh, services or practices that a student can choose to use or not. Uh-huh. Yeah, so So you you used a couple of terms yeah. already and um, you said there were some that will come up in the accommodations letter that come to the students. Right. Maybe you should sort of throw a couple of those out in case the listeners haven't heard them before. There are terms that, that if you actually dig deeper into the UDL literature, you'll hear, you'll hear terms like expert learner, you'll hear terms like learner variability. Um, in my day-to-day activities. I don't use those terms so much, but I know what they mean and I, I, I respect them and use them. But So it kind of depends. Um, in terms of letters that will come to you from SSD, you know, primarily you're going to get uh, the needs that students have are <clears throat> we have to be sensitive. Well, first of all, the note-taking is a big issue. Okay. Um, you know, reduced uh, extended time on uh, various types of activities, Okay. particularly testing. Um, it might be a student may need a reduced stimulus environment to take tests in. Okay. Uh, now students, we, you know, really now we have more and more students on campus that have, uh, I don't really like the term that's used, but they have various types of, of psychological issues that, that are in, get in the way of their learning. Okay. Anxieties, phobias, just any number of things. Uh, okay. that, that has increased in recent years. Okay. Um, and, and so 
if they qualify, then then one as an instructor, I need to be sensitive and 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 willing to address the fact that a student might not be able to attend class today okay. because they they need to go see a counselor or or something has come up in their lives. And okay. so that's it, you know those are the kinds of things that you're going to get. But so there is a kind of a vocabulary. There's kind of a vocabulary out of the what I'd call the official UDL literature. Okay. That's also what's nice about some of that now is that it's associated with a lot of, you know, neuroscience and some of the other, you know, emerging disciplines that are that are contributing to that. You'll see UD. UD stands for universal design, which more is much more of a kind of a physical architectural, dis, you know, kind of right. uh, scenario as opposed UDL is taking the concept of design, if you will, and applying it into a learning environment. The best example from okay. an architectural point of view uh, would be uh, if you're familiar with curb cuts. Some people don't know what a curb cut is. I mean, uh-huh. everybody's seen them, but they don't know the term. But right. when you're at an cr- uh, intersection, there are the curbs kind of slant down. And so basically, so a wheelchair can get across the, uh, you know, uh, the, the crosswalk. Uh-huh. Well, that, that's really helpful for somebody that uses a wheelchair. I use it all the time with luggage, <laughs> um, uh-huh. bicyclists. Scooter people, everybody uses those things to their, I mean, it, it's helpful in a lot of ways. So, uh, but it's designed, it's principal design feature is for folks with, with who use wheelchairs. So all of this seems to be really obvious and straightforward. Are there ever ways that it can be not straightforward or misconstrued? Okay. Some folks, I think, react to the fact that, oh, this is for students with disabilities. But it's not just for students with disabilities. In my class, um, I use a lot of video. I don't like to use long videos, but I use shorter videos. And all the videos I have are closed captioned. Okay. Now, I've had students who are deaf or who have profound hearing loss for whom I have to have that. I mean, that, that's just, there's just no question. I, if I'm going to show a video to someone, a student that's in my class who's deaf, it has to be closed captioned. Okay. Uh, okay. But what I have found over the years, too, is that for international students, for who their L1, their, their first language is not English, we know it's good enough for them to be here, but it's just helpful to have the wording on a video uh, the in, in well, it's in English. It won't be in their language, but uh, their, whatever their L1 is. But but basically, for an international student that is listening to someone talk on a video, having the words in English is a very helpful thing. So that that concept of closed captioning isn't just something for folks who have disability, i.e., someone who's deaf or, or have profound hearing loss. It can be really helpful for other students too. And and as a matter of fact. You, you could have perfect hearing, but you happen to be back in the deeper in a classroom, and it might be harder to hear the audio on it. Having closed captioning can be helpful to you too. So there, that's an example of how it crosses over. So okay. that's one thing. Okay. Another myth uh, about this is, and, and this this gets into and uh, this idea of oh, this is just good teaching. I you know this is to me gray because. I kind of like to think some of these things are. <laughs> I mean, I think good teachers. I think good teachers do some of this stuff. Right. But it is there is some of the things that that I'm going to share as a, as specific examples. Uh huh. Do go beyond just good teaching, meaning that there are some elements that you you put a little more work into, uh, okay. perhaps. Um, and and I think another one uh, another misconception is that most of the elements. I, I don't want to say they all are just, you know you can do these in just a matter of seconds. Some things take a little more time, but and, and I'll, I'll tell you about that. But okay. um, most of the things that, uh, most of the elements of UDL that I incorporate into the class are not 
extremely time-consuming kinds of activities uh, okay. or practices. Uh, the other thing that I think is a misnomer too is that UDL is just technology. It's, if you just have a special certain types of, of either assistive kind of technology or maybe other types of instructional technology, that's what it is. Technology can be helpful. It's good to hear from yeah. my office. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, and, and it is part, I think, of, right. of UDL, or uh-huh. it certainly can be part of it, as I'll, I'll talk about. But right. it's not the essence of it. It's not the, 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 that's not what it's all about. It's not about technology. Yeah. It's yeah. more than that. A, t- a technology is, is a tool for accomplishing UDL practices. Okay. Or so- it can be. So it sounds like a good time to hear about what you're actually doing in your class. How does it sort of play out? Let's look at it. Yeah, well, here's how, if you look at the UDL literature, you'll see how sometimes uh, a number of of sources have broken down some of these practices into different categories, if you will. I kind of tried to do that. I I don't think that way, but I've tried to do that for us here. So here are my three categories. The first one I call, I just call it access. And what I mean by that is that students, these are, are techniques that, students, it assists students to access the content in the curriculum that, that I'm covering, okay? Okay. The second one is expression. So these are, these are ways that students can show their competence, their knowledge acquisition, whatever that might be, okay? okay. And then the, uh, the third one is engagement, okay? So, um, and so uh, what I mean by that is, is that that's just ways students can, can you know, kind of more further engage in what's going on in the class. Okay, so those are my three areas. So rather so, than being a passive learner, yeah, you're kind engaged of being with more, the more engaged. Okay. Exactly. So, I got it. All right. So, um, so here we go. Um, so the first one is access. So let me just talk about that a little bit. Okay. Um, and um, uh, so what I one of the things I do, I've, I'll start off. I'll just review it real quickly. The videos are closed captioned. I've already talked about that, but that's one way that allows students to access the the content better. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So the other thing that I do uh, that um, has become very helpful is that um, I do a screencast after uh, each session of the class. Okay. Now, what I do with this, uh, you know, it, it's not a very sophisticated screencast, but basically what I do is I go through and just highlight major, uh, key points that were made in the session. I do review, I use some of the slides that I showed in class. If I showed slides or, or, uh, or, I'll ref- or I might create a new slide that refers to something that we did in class, but it, it, and I keep them usually about seven minutes. Now here's the reason for this. Um, the, the reason I think this is, is so important is that um, students, uh, I think, I've, I, I've, students with disabilities, some of the students with disabilities sometimes have a hard time kind of focusing on what's the most important thing that was done. Uh-huh. So I kind of did it a lot for them. Uh, but then I'm thinking, why, why isn't that not helpful for everybody? Within you know? cognitive exactly. science, exactly. it is helpful for everybody. Um, and, and of course, some of the folks may not engage the screencast. Well, sometimes I don't, they're, they're delayed anyway in getting them out. But, but, mm-hmm. uh, when, but a lot of students use them as a review for tests too. Excellent, um, you know, it's, yeah. And so it works out really well. And, it, and, and I don't, you know, if you missed a class, this will not cover everything, but it, it, it does give you the high points. So it's not necessarily an incentive to miss class, but which I don't mind. Anyway, it, so it's I'm intending it for folks that need to have these high points. Of but it'll the class. help you focus on yeah. what's it interesting. I yeah. like it. So what's the feedback from students? Do they love it? Um, I think they yeah. The, I, well, I you know uh, I think they find it valuable that 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 these there's a lot of information covered that 
uh, I've narrowed things down for them. I think right. that's what's important. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's the key. Okay. Um, so I do that, and uh, I just use I just use QuickTime, you know, video capture on that. It's nothing. They don't see me. They just see the slide and they hear me talk. Okay. Um, it's a one take only. Uh, so if I if you I make stutter, a mistake, it if, happens. It, yeah. Okay. Uh, it just yeah, it just that's the way it goes, and mm-hmm. I do that for a reason. Uh, just the fact that you know. Uh, it, there's a lot of things we have to do. You just have to sometimes not maybe have the most polished version at the end. It's okay um, if it's not perfect. So I do that. Yeah. The other thing I do, which which I have found, I, I don't know, I, I just think this is part of good teaching, not necessarily UDL, but it has a UDL feature to it. Uh-huh. Um, and that is at the end of every class, in every class I teach, I do something called a SMIT, which is the single most important thing. I did not create that. Some I don't know where that came from. Uh, but I love the idea that you have to, I dedicate time right at the end of class for students to Give me what? What was the single most? I'd like to think there's more than one, but uh-huh. but what's the single most important thing that, l- that lingers in your mind here at the end of class? Mm-hmm. Um, and the the reason I do it is I think it's good for them to reflect, um, and and of course they they submit it through Canvas and they get a point for doing it. So there's a little okay. incentive for doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the other thing is I use the Smiths as a way of review in the next class. So at the beginning nice. of the next class, I use these key things that people have brought up and and almost always over the course, when you have a lot of students, right. you're going to you're going to have enough people highlighting key features that it gives you a good way to go back and and help students refocus on what was important that last time. Right. So it it, it that really to me has been really helpful. Um, I, the other thing on, on access that I think is important is that um, anytime I have a visual, if I have a student in my class who is blind, okay. you, if you show any kind of visual, you have to explain it, just like as if you were developing a website. If you're developing a website and it has a visual, by ADA standards, and you've got to you've got to be able to click on that and right. have that described. Exactly. I kind of that's my mentality. If I show even even if I don't have a student that's blind in my class, is I feel like if I show visuals, I like to try to explain them well because there's a lot going on sometimes in visuals, and I mean graphs or charts or whatever right. it might be, and I make it. I really try to make it. I think through the idea that as I'm talking about that visual, I'm talking about it as if someone couldn't see it, so that there's, it, it's very explicitly covered. I was just thinking, you're yeah. making it very explicit yeah. when you do it. So I use that kind of UDL idea as if I had somebody who, who right. needed it explained uh, right. as a way of trying to do it. So I, I don't, it keeps me from going too quickly through something where some students just don't grasp. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, so that, that's, that's, that's key. I like that. Um, and then uh, there's some other things we do, but I think those are the ones. I, I, the other thing that I get, I think it's just good teaching, but if you look in the UDL literature, you'll notice that it's there, and that is, mm-hmm. you know, having a, a, a multiple formats of presentation. Yes, there's there's instructor-led pieces that I do, but I have guests, but I never have guests that dominate. I like them to come in and, and do part of class, but I don't necessarily want them having to do the whole class. Okay. Um, I like them for certain reasons. I use lots of video. We do lots of in-class activities. I think the multiple format is also helpful, particularly for some students that, that it's a three-hour class. You, you, That's long. I think you need to do that.